Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Sean McGill. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. But I want to I want to pick up where I where I left off 2 weeks ago in this series for God so love. And I got to thinking about this idea of culture. How many of you know that culture is shifting? I don't know if you've thought about that or not, but for really the last 80 to 100 years, our culture has shifted in a very big way. And unfortunately, our our culture isn't shifting towards God. It's actually been shifting away from God. And this has never been more true than it is today. In fact, Gallup uh, did a survey this year, 2021. And I want to show you what Gallup found out, specifically when it comes to to average number of adults that would say, hey, I go to church. Church is something that, that impacts me, something that I attend. Gallup has been studying the church for the last eight decades. And so they started in the early 1940s. And so if you notice here in the 1940s, 73% of our, of our society would say, hey, I'm actively a part of church. Three-fourths. That's a huge number. Uh, if you were to look back a little further to that, to the early 1900s, that's where revivals swept across not only the United States, but across the world. And I I would say that number was probably significantly higher. But look at what has happened, um, quite honestly, pretty rapidly in many of, uh, maybe you're in here in your lifetime. Anybody in here uh, born uh, in the 40s? There's, There's one. 50s? So, ah, there's one in the back. I see you. And so for, for some of us, maybe our moms or, you know, our, 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 our dads or our grandparents, they've lived through this shift in culture. You're like, you're not supposed to ask women their age. I'm sorry for making you raise your hand. Some of the women were smart. They didn't raise their hand. But you can see this culture has, has been shifting, and it's not been moving, honestly, towards the church or towards God, but it's been moving away from it. You know, the the old timers, right? They've seen this. That's why their mindset thinks a little different. That's why they they say some of the things that, that they say, because they've seen this drastic shift in culture that in the last 20 years, I mean, look at this steep dive that's just from 95 on. So the rise of social media, the rise of some of what's going on. And for the first time in the last eight decades, less than 50% now say that they're actively a part of a church. That's crazy. And so here's the question that, that I had when I looked at that. And so as I started looking at these trends and I started to look at where culture is going, the the question that I had to answer in my spirit is this. What level of influence should the church have on culture? What level of influence? See, influence is the thing, honestly, that I believe shifts culture, that either shifts a culture towards God or quite possibly shifts a culture away from God. Influence is a big thing. Influence can change the trajectory of your life. Influence has a way to to change how you're parenting, to change, you know, how you lead, to change how you operate in this world. Have you ever thought about that? That the influences from culture and the influence from the arts and media and all these things, they can change us. They They can shift how we live our lives and how we operate. And it's not all bad. 
Some of it helps shift us towards the good, while some of us, it can shift us. And I, I don't necessarily say to the bad, but away from God. And anything away from God innately then would be bad. Yeah. And so culture has been shifting. And so, so what influence as, as a church should we have on culture? For God so loved the world. See, I, I, I can't imagine how a graph like that, put that graph up again. I can't imagine how a graph like this would just, would just grip the heart of our God. Would just, would just, I mean, make him tear up. And so what do we do? Well, this isn't an old age problem. In fact, every generation has wrestled with this. We see it all throughout Scripture where, where generations, where, 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 where people that lived, you know, for, for, you know, whatever century that was, grasped this, this concept of, well, will we create a culture that moves towards God or away from God? And so each generation has the opportunity to answer that question and then provide a solution for it. And so in the book of Jeremiah, we see a scripture that says this in Jeremiah 15, 19. It says, you are to influence, influence them. Who is them? It's the world. It's those around you. It's, it's, it's you know, your neighborhood, your job, your community, your city. You are to influence them. Do not let them influence you. As people of God, we have a responsibility to not only be influenced, but to also be influencers. That one of the highest callings that we could have as a Christian is to be salt, to be light, to say my job is to influence the world around me towards Jesus. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. It says, the area of influence God has assigned us to is to reach you. You know, I want to stop right there because that, that is so true for my life. You know the area of influence that God has assigned me to? It's to influence you. It's to reach you. It's to reach this city. Some of you may not know our story. Some of you, maybe you're new to our church. And, you know, Jennifer and I moved here last May in the middle of the pandemic. We had, you know, 30 or 40 crazy people move across state lines from Virginia with us here, all to do one thing. To, to reach a city, to have influence on a city. And, and it wasn't just because we woke up one day and we were like, that seems like a good idea. No, it was an assignment from God. It was something that God put on our lives. Uh, Jennifer and I got out a map. And as we were trying to determine where it is that we would plant this church that planted five months ago, January 24th of this year, we got out a map and we started visiting locations was we started visiting cities, we knew cities that felt wrong. I mean, we got there and it was like, this is surely not of God. This is surely not where God is calling us. And so we had a lot of kind of, you know, just, just in the pit of our stomach, just mixed emotions like, God, how do we hear your voice? Where, where is it that you have for us? I mean, imagine getting out a map and saying, God, where do you want me to go? What area have you assigned me to, to influence, to reach people? So we got out a map and we started visiting those locations, and somewhere along the way, we ended up in Louisville. We were on our third day in Louisville, and we were walking across the Big Four Bridge, which has a special place 
in our hearts. In fact, if you go into our house right there in our living room is a huge picture of the Big Four Bridge. Why? Because that was the moment where we realized our assignment. We stood on the bridge and my wife looked out over the city and tears began to rush over or, or rush down her face. And I'm like, are you okay, babe? I thought she's mad because it's like a five mile hike, you know, to the top of the bridge and her feet are, you know, super sore or something because she was, wasn't wearing her walking shoes that day. She was wearing her cute shoes. Any women know what I'm talking about? I thought she is mad at me for making her walk up this bridge and she is crying because she really wants to hit me. But no, she started crying because of a flood of emotions washed over her. And God told her, this, this is your city. These are your people and faces that we had been interacting with. Over the last few days, Jennifer described, began to flood her mind. She could see them all in just a second. There's a piece that washed over me where I said, that's it. That's what we needed. We needed a God moment. We needed a God assignment. And so God called us here. God assigned us here. For what? To reach people, not to build my name, not just to build a church, but to build heaven. The church is just the vehicle in which is going to build heaven. And so I didn't come here to build a great organization. Jennifer and I didn't come here to us to get famous or write some books or, you know, whatever. No, we came here on assignment to reach you yeah, good. and reach those that are not yet a part of you and are not yet in this room and those that don't know us and those you know that have never interacted with us that was our assignment and so our assignment was to reach you but not just reach you but to make you better to make your life better to give you hope to to allow your faith to increase. We want your faith to increase in your marriage. We want your faith to increase in, you know, your finances. We want your faith to increase in your job and in, you know, situations that you're walking through. We want you to know you're loved by God. We want you to know that you don't have to do anything to prove his love, that there would just be something in you that increases. So not just to reach you, not just to get you to heaven, but to help you in a, in a way where you just you look at your life and you're like, it's just better. So much better. And so we pray that, that your hope and your faith would increase. And then what? That our area of influence would be greatly enlarged. I want to reach people. I want to see their, their faith increased. Why? So their influence would be enlarged. And why does God want to enlarge our influence? So that, so that what? We can preach the gospel and reach more people. Yeah, right. And so that's the cycle in which we, we really have built the foundation of this church on that, that God has assigned us to reach people so that their faith would increase, they would trust God, and then our influence would spread, and as our influence spreads, it reaches more people, and not just here, but maybe even lands beyond us. I can't wait until we're six, seven, eight, nine campuses. We're in New Albany. We're in Jefferson Town. You know, we're, we're in E-Town and all these areas, and wherever it is that God wants to send us, if our area, if our, if our influence would increase beyond us, and so influence is, is a big, big thing. 
In fact, when you think about influence, there's multiple things in this world that influence us. There was um, two pastors. Some of you may, may be familiar with them. One's name was Lauren, Lauren Cunningham. He actually was the director uh, of a program called YWAM. Anybody ever heard of YWAM? YWAM. And there's some YWAMers back there. Um, and, then, and then a guy named Bill Bright. He was over Campus Crusades for Christ. And I love Bill's story. It says him and his wife got out a map similar to, to what we did. And it says they spread it out over the kitchen table. Instead of saying, Lord, give me a city, they said, Lord, give us the world. What a bold prayer. And God really did that through Campus Crusades, through Christ. They're in every nation, almost every con uh, continent, making a huge, huge difference. Well, story goes, and you can YouTube it, just YouTube Lauren Cunningham's Seven Influences, that, that him and Bill Bright uh, were in the same city together, and they were close friends, and they decided that they were going to meet up. And so as they traveled to these cities, uh, the story goes that, that Bill and Lauren had both received some visions from God, that God spoke to them in a really clear way. And so the next day when they gathered together, uh, Lauren began to pull some notes out of his pocket and say, hey, I got to share what God showed me last night. And as, as he was pulling notes out of his pocket, Bill looked at him and said, I've got to share with you what God showed me. And as the two begin to share, it said both of them begin to share pretty much the same exact thing. Wow. And what God gave them at that time is what they called uh, seven streams or seven mountains or seven kind of mind benders. There's many different, I wasn't in the meeting. There's People have called it many different things, and so I couldn't get to the bottom of exactly what it was called. But seven streams, ultimately, of influence that they felt like God showed them influenced all of culture. And that, that if, if they would begin to influence the things that influenced culture in a positive way, that they would see a culture, instead of shifting away from God, begin to shift back towards God. And the time in which this was happening was 1975. And when you looked on the graph earlier, you know that that was when a decline. It was pretty flat for a while. Then there was an obvious decline starting to happen. And so this was at a pivotal time where they were like, culture is shifting away. God, help us understand what we need to understand. And so I want to give you real quickly the seven streams of influence that they talked about that day. The first is this. They said the first thing that influences our culture is the church. It's, it's, it's our faith. And this was never meant to be private, but it was always meant to be public. It was meant to be something that really was at the center of it all. If you go to every major city almost in our country, isn't it funny that in the center of the city, what do you see towering High steeples. Have you ever done an aerial of Louisville or seen an area of downtown, the center of the city? There are steeples all over. The church was a major influence in this city. And so the church was always meant to be an influence. And you're like, well, I don't know. What about the separation of church and state and all that? Well, here's the thing you have to understand about that. The whole idea of the separation of church and state was to keep government out of the church, not necessarily the church out of government. And so sometimes we like to divide the two and get the two separate. And that, that's not how it was intended. And so the church was an influence. That's another sermon. Uh, number two is government was an influence, right? Politics influences our culture. We've seen that played out over the last year 
um, in, in crazy ways, such a polarizing thing. But politics, they influence us. Would you not agree? <laughs> the next thing that influencing, influences us is arts and entertainment. They called this celebration, the things that people would go and celebrate, so it's sports, it's, it's, it's fashion, it's these things where there would be a crowd and there would be cheering. And so, so arts and entertainment, that was an influence. The next one is this, education. Education is an influencer, right? I mean, higher educations and, and colleges, and I wrote this down. But, you know, a uh, 100 years ago, as you look in, you know, the early 1900s, uh, higher education was largely influenced actually by Christianity. So higher education uh, is an influence. Uh, business is an influence. Yeah. Your job, economics is an influence. What you do, companies that, you know, are, are built, you know, Amazon is an influence yeah. for the good. Amen, everybody, <laughs> except for on my checkbook. But I get it in two days, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> my brain just thinks that way. Uh, business is an influence. Media is an influence. Right, television, movies, all of those things, they influence us. Social media, <laughs> it's an influence. And then the last is this, the family is an influence. The family dynamic influences, you know, uh, our country. In fact, any time in history, I, I, I read this as I was reading this, any time in history, uh, the family unit was strong, society flourished. Yeah. Yeah. That when family began to yeah. diminish, society began to shrink down with it. And so these are all things that influence us. And so I think for so long, we've kept things separate. So we've got the government and the arts and the education and this. And then we've got church kind of over here. Church is one of the things that influence us, but they are just one of the seven things. But, but hundreds of years ago, before we saw the decline, and I think the reason why steeples were built and churches were at the center of communities when they were established, because there was a day where the culture, for the most part, shifted towards God, not away from God, and the church was not outside of culture, but church was actually the center of culture. And so this is not a fight where it's us against them, where it's culture over here and don't get near the media and the arts and da-da-da-da-da and then put the church over here. No, this idea is that the church was at the center of it all. It was like a bicycle hub with spokes, you know, kind of going out. And the, the, the church was the hub and then the spokes were all these areas of influence. Yeah. Yeah. And so society functions best according to what they felt like God was showing them is when the church was at the center and then influencing these areas where the church was, was going into government, making it better, where the church was going into to, you know, sports and arts and all those things and saying, let me be a part of this. Where, where education, they were saying, let me be a part of this. And here's my fear. As we've drifted away from God as a society and as a culture, is the church maybe in fear or in trepidation or maybe because we just need to get a backbone. They've separated themselves and we've said, that's culture, that's bad. Stay away from those people. They don't love Jesus. But how do you influence culture if you're not being an influencer? Come on. Right. 
And so the church was meant to be at the center where it was God in government and God in education and God in business and God in family and God in media and God in sports. I mean, isn't that what Matthew 5.13 said? It said, you are salt. For what? I love this version. The whole human race. You are to be an influencer. You are to be like salt. You're to be like salt in the government. You're to be like salt on your job. You're to be like salt in sports. You're to be like salt in higher education. You're to be like salt when you walk into wherever it is that you are, whatever grocery store you go into, whatever concert you find yourself at, you're supposed to walk in and say, I'm salt. I'm not going to curse you. I'm going to bless you. See, we have to be careful because what happens if we don't realize that church is at the center of it, we'll rebuke people instead of bless people. Yeah, come on. And that's not our job. Our job is to, and it's a fine balance, honestly. It's to not say it's like church over here and culture over here, but no, it's like both benefiting from each other, working together, being influenced by a God that holds this whole thing together. Yeah. Not where it's us trying to, and this is not, here's our agenda, let me put it on your agenda. No, it's how can I serve you? How can I do good for you? How can I bless you? That's what it looks like when the church begins to influence culture. It's when I, I, they, they, they stand back and they say, how can I serve you, bless you, impact you, make a difference? In your life, Matthew 5, 16, it says this, let your light shine. What? So that others may see the good that you do. The good that you do. That you would go into culture and you would do good. That you would serve. That you would bless. That you would make a difference in the lives of no matter who they are or no matter what segment of society they're in. Why? Because when you do it this way, when you let your light shine by doing good, guess what people do? They turn back to God. Yeah. It says they praise your Father in heaven. Yeah, the only way a world that is going away from God is going to turn to God is if we do good for them. Yeah. Come on. And say, I'm going to do good. I'm going to serve you. Isn't that what Jesus was? Right. He came with a towel and said, how can I serve you? How can I bless you, not condemn you? He looked at the woman caught in the act of adultery, said, I don't want to condemn you, ma'am. I want to bless you. I don't want to condemn you. I want to help you. I want to pick you up off the ground. I want to help you out of your mess. I want to show you that you're loved, that you're called. No matter what you've been doing, I'm not going to cast you out because of your sin or what you've been doing. No, I want to, I want to bless you. And so I think that's our challenge. For God so loved our city. And if our city is going to shift from, from what we've seen taking place in the last eight decades to where in our generation, in one generation, we've seen that kind of shift. Isn't that crazy? 
So that means in one generation, we can see a shift back. So we can do it. It's, it's not, you know, your grandkids or your grandkids' grandkids. It can happen on our watch. And then we can pass the baton off. See, the Bible says one generation commends another generation. That's how it's meant to happen, that we do our part, and then we pass the baton off to the other person. And so why does this even matter? That's the question that, you know, I I think we should all have when we hear a conversation like this. Why, Why does this matter? Here's why I think this matters. It's because God loves it. And we were created for it. The reason why a conversation like today matters is because God loves, he loves everybody. For God so loved, his eyes are on this city. His eyes are on our world. His eyes are on the people at your job. His eyes are on sports. In entertainment, his eyes are in recording studios. His eyes are in government. His eyes are in education. These things that impact our society, these things that influence us so strongly, his eyes are on them. And it's a, it's a loving eye. It's an eye that looks down no matter how we think about what that person is doing or how that organization is leading. It's an eye that looks down that says, I don't, no, I love them. I love them. And so the reason why it matters is because God, God is love. And God so loved the world. And so because he so loved the world, he said, hey, I want to help you. You're the vehicle in which I've left. Will you pass on my love? As I love you, will you help show that love to others? Yeah. It matters because God loves the world yeah. and he shows that love through you. And so we're called to do good. We're called to serve. We're called to bless. We're called to make a difference. Hebrews thirteen sixteen says this, don't forget to do good for others and share what you have with them. These are the kind of sacrifices that please God. You know what pleases God? Doing good to others. And this isn't about works. This isn't about like you have to to go to heaven. No, it's just saying this pleases God and this is what turns culture towards me. So this isn't if you don't, you know, you don't get to go to heaven. No, this is, this, is, this is God's plan to reach the world by you doing good in whatever area that you're in. And so this is why it matters. See, I don't know if you know this, but Ephesians says this about you. Ephesians says that you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared before there was even a you. Long before there was a you, God had a plan for you. God had, a, had opportunities for you. God had people for you to, to, to influence. And so why does it matter? Well, because God loves. 
And, and the next question is this then, where do I start? Where should I even start? Well, the Bible says this in Matthew or Mark 5, 19. It says this. It says, go home to your family and friends. Here's a great place to start. It's called your sphere of influence. All of us have spheres of influence. All of us have people that are around us, family and friends. And it says, just go tell them how much the Lord has done for you and the mercy that he's had on you. Three areas, I think, that, that you can focus on when you think of where to start. The first is this, just focus on your people. Who are the people that God has put around you? Who are the people at your work? Who are the people at your job? Who are the people, you know, in your family? Acts 17 says this, that God determined the exact location and the time in which you would be in because he had an assignment in advance for you. And so God has a people for you. You're not in Louisville by accident. You're not in the family that you're in by accident. You're not in just the circle, the sphere of influence. No, God had a plan for you. And God is always wanting to leverage you to work out his plan to see a lost and a dying world come to know him. And so your people are a great place to start. Not just your people, but your place. Yeah, that's good. So start at your work. Start, start at, at the place that you influence on a daily base, basis. Maybe that's your family. Your stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. Maybe that's your job. Maybe you're a business owner, Okay. Maybe, maybe you're a business owner and you own, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you're thinking, well, I'm really not a minister. I don't know if this is the place. Well, let me just say this. Your vocation is your ministry location. You're, the thing that God has called you to do and gifted you to do, just use it for ministry. Use it to let your light shine. Use it to be salt. And so you go to your people. You, you go to your place, and then, you know, look to your passions. What are you passionate about are you passionate about sports? Are you passionate about academics? Are you passionate about the arts and you know music and all that? Go to those things and be salt there. So why should you do it? God loves it. Where do you start? Well, just start where you are. Yeah. I gave this statement to our church, I don't know, last November, and so you know, 20% of you heard it. And maybe I'll preach this message again, but it's this, and it's you are a minister. No matter who you are, you're a minister. Might be thinking, well, that's your job up there. No, I'm a pastor. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so you're a minister, whether you realize that or not. You're like, I'm not a minister. Yes, you are. You're a minister and you have a specific purpose. God put a specific design on you and a specific calling on you and gave you specific yep. gifts. And you're, you're doing it in an opportune time. Yep. Come on, talk about that. We're 47% of our country is turning away, or only, only, only with God, 53% is turning away from God. You are a minister with a specific purpose at an opportune time to what? To just make an eternal difference in the lives of other people. And so I love what I heard one person say, and it was this, change your world and you change the world. Think about that. You wanna change the world? first conversation I ever had with Blake back there in the back running our production he said I want to change the world that's why I'm moving you want to change the world then change the world around you what has God put you in change it start there your place your people your passions your hobby change the world in healthcare change the world in academics academics 
epidemics change the world by changing the world around you. So where has God positioned you? You might be thinking, okay, but how? How? How how do I do that? Well, I think it's twofold. One, you just start with what you have. Story of Moses. Moses is this guy and he's timid and he stutters and all that. And God's going to use him to, you know, you know, Moses, set my people free, you know, let my people go kind of thing. Moses would, would deliver the people of God out of Egypt. And he had so much just fear and intrepidation of how God, not me. God looked at him in Exodus and he said, what's in your hand, Moses? I don't know, it's just a staff. All right, use that, throw it on the ground. And God used it in a mighty way. And so how do you change your world? Well, what's in your hand? What has God given you? Well, I'm only a mom, or I'm only an employee at XYZ, or I'm only this. No, that's what's in your hand. You're not only that. God designed you to be that. God called you to be that. Maybe that's your assignment. So don't you dare look at yourself and say you're only. You're one in a million. You're not, actually, you're not one in a million. You're one of a kind. God's designed you. What's in your hand? That smile that everybody talks about, they're like, you've got a great smile. Maybe that's what's in your hand. Go into the, all the world bringing joy, bringing hope to people, putting a smile on people's face that are frowning. That clinic God puts you in, go into it. If it's in what, what's in your hand, be salt, be light. Well, I can't talk about Jesus at my job. Guess what? You don't have to say anything. You can say very little and your words be action and your words be love and your words point to somebody. I promise you, if you do that really well, they will call you after work. They will pull you to the side and say, what's different about you? What's different about you? Francis uh, Agassi, what did he say? He said, he said something about you sh- when you serve, you, you should have to use words. Very little. Very little. But just your actions show people the love of Christ. And so what's in your hand? Use it to bless people, to serve people. And so let me give you a challenge, Galatians 6, 4. And it's this, may you make careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given and may you sink yourself into that. May you sink yourself into that and then may you just discern the voice of God. I think it's really twofold, the how. It's what's in your hand, who are you? And then the Spirit's prompting. That's part of it. The Spirit will prompt you and show you needs. And when He does, here's what I would say. When the Spirit prompts you, find a need and and fill it. When the Spirit shows you here's a need you you can fill, then try your best to listen to the Spirit and fill it with what you have. If God shows you you the need, it's because you have the ability and the capacity to help fill it through Christ in you. And then find hurts and help heal them. Find needs and fill them and find hurts 
and heal him. Proverbs 27, two scriptures, and I'll pray over you. It says, never walk away from someone who deserves your help or deserves help. It says, your hand is God's hand for that person. What a powerful scripture. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. And it's not up to you to determine whether or not they deserve it or not. God loves everyone. They all deserve it. Never walk away from it because your hand is God's hand for that person. It says never tell your neighbor to wait till tomorrow if you can help them now. And so ultimately, you're the way culture shifts back to God. Your hand is God's hand. We're in partnership, co-laborers with Christ to be vehicles in which are influencing culture. And here's the result. Isaiah 58, 10, the result is this. If we can do that, that if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, hungry and maybe nourishment, spiritually, physically, mentally, you satisfy the needs of the oppressed without God. People have plenty of needs, I can promise you. It says, then your light will rise in the darkness. You want to know how light will rise in a culture shifting from God? Spend yourselves on their behalf. Spend your life pouring out. Spend your life serving. It says light will rise in the darkness and night will become like noonday. I love that. Night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Meaning as you go on this journey and as you do for others what God has done for you, God will make sure that you're taken care of. It's the principle in Scripture that as you refresh others, you too will be refreshed. And so this is what I believe that God has for you today. And it's this idea that it took 80 years during the last 80 years to see this decline to where it is now. But as a church in our generation, we can begin to shift it back. The pendulum will always swing. We're in a fallen world. This shouldn't surprise you. Stop pointing a finger at culture and be a part of swinging it back. And you do it by love. And you do it by the Spirit of God inside of you, prompting you, speaking to you and giving you everything you need to be salt for the whole human race. Amen, everybody? You receive that today? Hey, can I pray for you, Father? Thank you so much. Thank you that you're here for each and every one of us, no matter 
what we walked in with today, you're here for us. Maybe you're in here today, I would be remiss to not mention this, but you came in today seeking something. You didn't know what that something was, but now you realize that something is a God that honestly loves you, cares more for you than you could ever realize. Today, you felt that. You felt the love of Christ, and you're like, you know what? I want that. You know, the Bible says, anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you recognize today, you know what? I don't know where I would spend my eternity if my life ended tomorrow. You don't have to walk out of here wondering. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so today, it's real simple. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to give you an opportunity to just say, Jesus, I'm sorry been living life my own way, but I'm ready to turn to you. That's what it means to repent, to say, God, I've been living this way, but now I'm turning to you. You're not a bad person. You just, you're born into a fallen world and your Bible says we're all sinners. But God provided a way through Jesus to be an everlasting relationship with him. For God so loved the world that he sent, he gave Jesus so that we could have everlasting life and so if that's you in here today and you're like you know what I'm ready to give my life to Jesus I want to make that right I'd love to pray for you I'd love to know who you are nobody look around right now let this be just a moment with, with whoever's ready to make that decision if that's you today I want to single you out or make you stand or anything but I'd love to know who I'm praying with if you don't mind would you just slip up a hand so I can just kind of lock eyes with you and know who I'm praying for. So if you're ready to give your life to Jesus today, you can just slip up a hand at this time. I'd love to pray over you. Thank you so much. Well, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over our church that we would be salt. That we would be salt. God, would we be salt in government? Would we be salt in the arts? Would we be salt in media? Would we be salt in education? May we be salt in businesses. May we be salt in our families. And may you be at the center of it all. And God, may we do good for others. And as we do, God, may you supply all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everybody. Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.